Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of the Money Mitch Effect. I'm your host, Mitch Michaels, and thank you for joining me today. As we have a lot of sports to discuss, an interesting show, to say the least. First up, talking to my boy Jose Youngs, an MMA writer for Fansided. He is in Brooklyn, New York, to cover UFC 223. We break down a very fascinating card with some changes at the top. Habib versus Holloway is the lightweight title fight, women's strawweight fight, and some other fascinating displays in the octagon. Jose breaks all that down. We get into it about the Triple G Canelo fight being canceled. Just a sad day for boxing. That rematch not being canceled. We're both very disappointed in that decision. WrestleMania 34. Got to preview that as well. And I think we snuck in some baseball as well. His Red Sox are uh, his pride and joy, so couldn't uh, let that go without bringing them up. And then I call my buddy Mike Innergaard, who lives up in Minnesota. We were college roommates and broadcasters back in the day. Mike is an avid, avid hockey fan. And the Frozen Four starts today. So you know we got to break down the new blood in this tournament with Ohio State, Minnesota, Duluth, Notre Dame, and Michigan. Talk a little NHL, final regular season, and MVP picks as well. It's Mike Kindergard, Jose Youngs on the Money Mitch Effect today. Let's start the show. All right, back on the Money Mitch Effect. Calling in now from the East Coast, getting ready to cover this UFC pay-per-view this weekend. It's MMA writer for Fansided, Jose Youngs. Jose, welcome back to the show. What's up, man? I'm always glad to be back with Money Mitch. Well, I was in a good mood yesterday. There was a lot of cool sports developments, and um, then the news broke that the boxing match, uh, maybe the rematch I was most looking forward to in a really long time, was canceled. And we weren't planning on talking about this because we thought, all right, maybe this fight was going to happen. But it isn't. Canelo, his team withdrew. They are going to not be taking place in this fight. Triple G will probably fight somebody else on Cinco de Mayo. But the rematch that everybody wanted is not going to happen, mostly, (laughs) pretty much exclusively due to the fact that Canelo failed a drug test. And I'll say it, I'm pissed. I mean, I don't know what the rest of the boxing community thinks of this, but it's just a bad situation all the way around. And um, I was interested to hear your take on the whole thing. You had some inside info on really what went down and why Canelo ultimately led to not wanting to take place in this fight. Yeah, it is. It really is a travesty. I mean, Canelo uh, and his camp have long said it was the uh, the tainted meat in Mexico, which I, I initially believed him, uh, considering that has been a thing for a while. A couple of UFC fighters have been popped only for for them to basically prove that it wasn't a banned substance. They just ate ate bad meat in Mexico City. Uh, and the same thing has happened to boxing. So when it initially happened, I can't remember the the, the banned substance off the top of my head, but it was that same substance. And from the reports I read and from what I heard, the levels were so low that it, there would really be no like benefits, effects of taking so little that it didn't make any sense for someone of Canelo's like like name and profile to be to be messing around with that. Uh, but then as it wore on, there, there was a lot of other fighters that were like, you know, I've always known Canelo's been on something. All these other reports came out. Oscar De La Hoya's obviously had his name tied to PEDs in the past. So it just didn't really look good. The they were supposed to go in front of the uh, the commission, the Nevada State Athletic Commission, uh, later this month, but they decided to withdraw. And like you said, Triple G will stay on that card. I haven't heard a name yet. Uh, if he has announced it, I've been so preoccupied with the UFC, I haven't really looked into it. But uh, it's just a real, real bad weekend for boxing. 
we did have that heavyweight title fight, kind of lackluster, and then Canelo removes himself from arguably the one of the biggest rematches of the last 10 years in boxing, one of the biggest fights, best best fights they can make, and just an all-around bad bad weekend for boxing. So let me get this straight, if I, if I have this correctly. Canelo could have taken a WADA drug test, cleared his name, and this fight would have gone on no problem? That's what that's what I hear. Um, I don't know how, how truthful that is because uh, the, the UFC uses USADA. They seem to be a little more um, in your face about it. WADA mm-hmm. does their own thing. Uh, and, like, boxing doesn't have – there's no UFC of boxing. So, like, the UFC can suspend their, their athlete as they deem right. fit, and then USADA gives a suspension too. There's so many governing bodies and promotions of, of boxing. It's just really a mess. It's been one of the – the biggest, like, I want to say the part, what's been holding boxing back is just all too many cooks in the kitchen, too many people pulling all these directions. It's why it takes so long to put a fight together. It's why it takes so long to book these dreams fights because there's so many moving parts mm-hmm. and a failed drug test to a fighter this big affects more than just Canelo and his camp. I mean, it affects the WBC, the WBO, the WBA, like pretty much all of these, these boxing commissions have to deal with it their own way. So Canelo basically just pulled out. Uh, whether he the hair follicle grew, I'm not 100 percent. But if that is true, that's just a bad that's a bad look on Canelo's part. Yeah, I, I mean, you mentioned other fighters and people coming out and saying that he was known to be juicing. Triple G said just as much. Said people sent him photos. Said he knew that this guy had issues. I got a big issue with how Canelo's camp handled this whole thing, led by Golden Boy uh, Promotions President Oscar De La Hoya, basically saying. Basically belittling Triple G, saying that no, it sounds like a scared fighter. Triple G never said he didn't want to fight him, but he also said that you know this is something that I've heard in the past. For them to make these bold claims and then not be willing to go through with filing the official complaint to clear their name sounds a little phony to me. Surprise, surprise, when Oscar De La Hoya is involved. But I just I don't understand how this keeps happening in boxing when you have such a big money breadwinner fight, the the exclusive fight that people are looking forward to. Uh, and it's now going to go by the wayside. So it's unfortunate. It sucks for all the boxing fans that wanted to see you know, the business being settled after what happened at the end of that first fight, the controversial draw. But it's just a sad situation all the way around. Um, if there's any saving it, I would like to see Triple G fight Ramirez for that super middleweight title. I'm glad he's still fighting. But And from what I hear, that tri- Triple G still wants to fight Canelo. He said he'd fight him in September. He seems to be, he, he's one of those fighters that just has unfinished business. Uh, so kudos to him. Uh, so silver lining, uh, this fight is, I, I assume this fight will just basically be delayed. Uh, so I'm hoping it gets put together in September. They fought, uh, in September initially. So it's, and we waited like what, several years for this fight already. I, I if, as long as I know it's going to happen under fair circumstances. And if, if Canelo did say he's going to be moving his camp to the U S so this never happens again, if it is indeed the tainted meat, uh, if that is accurate, but it, it from what I hear, I'm hoping this really just means it's delayed to September instead of just canceled outright. Yeah, uh, in such an important time for boxing, some good young fighters and, and good depth being built. Lomachenko's been amazing. The heavyweight showdown where it's going to have to happen because they have all the belts in Joshua and Wilder. Just an unfortunate uh, set of circumstances, but still a lot of good fights. We hope so in the future. Jose Young's Money Mitch effect. We'll talk about UFC now, UFC 223 in Brooklyn at the Barclays Center. Pay-per-view you're getting to cover. And another uh, incident where plan A is not always what ends up happening. 
we're not going to see the lightweight title fight between Khabib and Tony Ferguson because Ferguson pulled out of the fight. And I'm of the belief <laughs> that this fight will probably never happen. Yeah, that's Dana White has said uh, he's never booking this fight again. This is the fourth time uh, they've booked. They've tried, the UFC has tried to put this fight together the first time. Uh, I believe it was Habib got hurt. The second time it was Tony got hurt. The third time it was Habib had trouble with the weight cut, and he pulled out the day of the weigh-ins. And now fourth time, six days out of the fight, Tony Ferguson uh, tears or injures his LCL in a freak accident. At a, it wasn't even him training. He, he The way he described it was he was at like a UFC uh, media-obligated uh, promotional event. I believe he was actually going on the herd on FS1. Uh, and he like tripped over a black cord and like and hurt a pop in his knee, and he tried to push through it. But in, when he was training, his knee just kept locking up. And then when he went to go check, they, it turns out he injured his LCL. I don't know if he needs surgery. Uh, I've heard both yes and no. Yes, obviously to be on the safe side. No, if he if it's not so bad, he can he can fight in a few months. Uh, but Tony Ferguson for the fourth Tony Ferguson versus Habib Nurmagomedov has been canceled for the fourth time. There's many fights. Uh, it's 2-2 at this point in terms of pullout. So Dana White said he's never going to book the fight again because it's cursed. Habib is now fighting Max Holloway, the featherweight title uh, champion. But Habib has all since Tony's pulled out, Habib still says he wants to fight Tony after Max or Ma- either Tony or Connor because Habib says he has unfinished business with Tony and he's put so much pre- preparation into preparing for one man. It's hard to distance yourself from him without actually fighting him. So. If, if Habib does win and he doesn't get Connor, I fully expect the UFC to give him Tony for a fifth time. I mean, this division is just a mess. Like, I can't see it ever getting sorted out based on what's happened with McGregor, with these guys pulling out of the same fight repeatedly. Um, Habib's a heck of a fighter. I wanted to see him against the best. That's why I was looking forward to this fight. Um, no disrespect to Max Holloway, but this is a pretty tough situation to be thrown into, <laughs> I would say. Yeah, and Max is always done i mean he's to his credit max has been asked not asking for habib but he's basically said he'll fight habib anytime uh he yes he is a featherweight but even at the ufc uh 223 press conference in boston they had uh habib and tony and max and frankie another fight that didn't happen all on stage and uh a a reporter asked dana is there going to be a backup plan for tony and habib in case one of them gets hurt again and before Dana could even answer, Max said, I'll fight. If someone gets hurt, I will fight. I'll step in. So Max volunteered to be the backup plan back in January. Uh, he, from what I hear, Max said yes immediately. The UFC offered also offered Habib to Brian Ortega, which would have been a fascinating fight given they're both uh, grappling-based uh, fighters. Uh, I don't give Max much of a shot. I never want to count him out. He is a champion for a reason. He is one of the five best fighters in the world. But on a six-fight notice, and he wasn't in. It's not like he was fighting, and then all of a sudden he's he's. It's not like he was in camp. Now he's just changing opponent. He was not in camp at all. Like he said, when he got to Brooklyn, he said 27 hours ago, he was watching TV playing Fortnite with his son, and now he's <laughs> training for Habib Nurmagomedov on six days notice. Like, Jeez. if he was in camp, it might have been a different story. I'd so no camp max. I don't know how much of a chance he has. But he is one of the best fighters in the world, one of the best game planners in the world, comes from a fantastic gym. So I'll give him a 1% chance, but wow. Habib should, shouldn't have a problem. Unless Habib truly is looking past Max, which I really hope he's not, I, I, I expect Habib to win. 
So we assume Habib being the certified assassin that he is in the octagon to take care of business. What's going to happen after? I would say after? so unless he is preparing for right. his first five-round fight, so mm-hmm. that could make, could be another thing. Sure. Max has fought five rounds, has prepared for five rounds before against fighters like Aldo and Charles Oliveira um, and Frankie Edgar. So it's not like he's never had a five-round fight. This is Habib's mm-hmm. first. Uh, so there's a lot of questions up in the air, but yeah, like you said, I do expect Habib to win. Well, I'm, I'm also concerned with what happens after this fight if Habib wins because we both know that there's a reason why Dana White put Artem Lobov on this fight card. Oh, for sure. Uh, <laughs> I haven't heard if Connor is in Brooklyn yet. I was, I was expecting him to be there. I still expect him to be there. I haven't heard anything. A lot of the reporters I've talked to leading up to this, they all just assumed Artem being on this card was just a way to get Connor to Brooklyn. But from everything I've seen or heard, he's not there yet unless he's doing a great job hiding out or he flew into another uh, airport and is driving into Brooklyn. And they're keeping it a surprise, similar to the Triple G Canelo thing where uh, the winner of Max and Habib, and then they bring out Connor as a surprise. Yeah. Uh, it's very, it's all very fascinating to me. I still expect the winner to fight Tony or Connor, uh, depending on how it plays out. If some, uh, I Barring injury, I should say, because you never know with MMA. Uh, that should be the plan going forward. Well, that's what a lot of people are looking forward to, uh, to say the least. Now it's Habib and Max Holloway, UFC 223, Jose Young's SS, uh, MMA writer for fans cited on the Money Mitch Effect. Jose, the other fight that everyone's looking forward to is the women's strawweight title fight. Joanna's back in the octagon to try to reclaim her championship against Rose Namajunas, who surprisingly, to the mainstream and to the betting public, won the title in their last fight. Is the dynamic going to change at all? A lot had happened with Joanna Jose where she had the issues with some of her weight cutting and, and wasn't herself in the octagon. Do you think she's back to normal? Should she be the favorite going into this fight now? I, I'm not surprised she's the favorite. It's very reminiscent of when Anderson fought um, uh, Weidman the second time or when Ronda fought Amanda. Like If you're a champion for so long, and you lose by a flash finish. Like, Ronda got KO'd in the second round. Anderson got KO'd in the second round. Like, yeah, Joanna got KO'd in the first. But outside, like, Ronda, yeah, she got beat down by Holly, and then she got kicked in the skull. But she was dominant for so long, and she had so she never looked like she had weaknesses up until she lost. Same as Anderson, uh, same as Joanna, and I, same as if, if uh, Demetrius Johnson was, I'm sure, it would be the same way if he got knocked out. They, and then they do the rematch or they come back again, they're going to be the favorite until they lose again. And Anderson was, was again, the favorite. Ronda was the favorite. And Joanna very well should be the favorite. I mean, yeah, she had a bad weight cut, but there wasn't a lot of sample size. There wasn't a big sample size between her and Rose because Rose caught her very early and put her on wobbly legs early and then hit her again and finished her. If she had gotten out of the first round, who knows what kind of Joanna would have come back from mm-hmm. perseverance. Because she, she's been rocked by Carolina. Uh, she's been clipped uh but she's been clipped before, and she's recovered very well. So if she had time to recover without getting swarmed, I, I would have been very, very, very curious how she would have come back in the second round, but she didn't get that chance. Uh, at the way, at the press conference and stare-downs today, I know you and me talked about um, when they fought at 217, Joanna was very in-your-face, talking a lot of trash, mm-hmm. a lot of antics, like dancing around, like kind of like saying, like, I'm going to take your soul to Rose. And Rose didn't respond to any of it and then finished her. Today's press conference, Joanna was a very, like, business-oriented. Like, she was very straight-faced. Like, this is, like, 
focused at the stare down. She didn't do any of those antics. She basically stared down and walked away. Like it was, she was all business up on that stage. So she looks incredibly focused. She's working with George Lockhart, who I think is the best nutritionist in MMA. So this, sh- I think fans should expect the best Joanna. I do. I'm not surprised she's the favorite. And I, to me, this is 50, 50. I don't know who to pick. Yeah. I would say there's nothing. And you know, this as much as anyone, there's nothing, you know, not there's, there's a lot of honor in fighting in the octagon, and you're going to lose fights. That that does happen. What really makes these great champions is this fight coming back, and I do think that she has earned the right to get the benefit of the doubt. Um, but I agree with you on a 50-50 fight. I think her athleticism and her ability to withstand punches and being rocked is going to propel her. I like her to win, actually, a decision this time. But I'm looking forward to a rubber match between these three between these two because I think this fight is going to live up to the billing. Yeah, and these two are the these are the the first and like the one and two best one A one B actually not even not close, even one yeah. and two like these are the best strawweights in the world when they're a hundred percent. Rose is one of the nicest human beings ever. Yuan is also very nice. Uh, they're just very different in terms of how they promote themselves. Where Rose has that like badass like like she looks like Eleven from Stranger Things she's never smiled yeah, yeah. Uh, she's basically like and she's like a female Fedor when she's in there but outside of the octagon she's very very sweet she's not she's very humble like she lives in nature like she doesn't really care about technology she's just one of those people and Ioana is like the biggest sneakerhead in the entire UFC so they're just different personalities but they're both stone cold killers in the octagon and I think this has potential to be the best women's fight ever because these two don't wow. come for decisions. They come to finish. Wow. Like you saw when, when Rose fought Paige, she finished her in the fourth round. Like she, she basically won three 10-8 rounds. I had her 10-8, yeah. 10-8, 10-8, and she still finished her in the fourth round. So she's not taking rounds off. No. She's always going for the kill, and Joanna has the best striking in the entire division. So this could very well be the best women's fight in the history of the UFC between the two best <laughs> fighters. And I think... I don't want to say a fighter losing is good, but it opens the door for the division where there's a like the the strawweight division needed a rivalry, and Yuana was so dominant it was just hard to build one of those rivalries like an Ali Frazier type thing or a John Jones DC, and this could be the first one we get at strawweight. So if Yuana wins, they got to do the rubber match, and that'll be one of the biggest fights. That could be the first strawweight fight to headline a pay per view. Oh, it would be my vote for it if we get that rubber match. But, yeah, we're all looking forward to it. It's high expectations, but we know these two can live up to it. Lastly, uh, Jose, before we switch topics, what else on this card interests you? It doesn't have the star yeah, power, so but there's a lot of fights that I think people should take note of. There's a lot of fights. Like, literally every single fight on this card fascinates me. I went from top to bottom. Like, you got Hanato Moencano in, on the right before the two title fights. He's fighting Calvin Cater, Boston native. This is one of those fights where I guarantee you most fans don't know who these are, but they are two of the best prospects. They're, they're, they're kind of a step above prospects where they're like a 15 to 10 ranked fighter who are never in bad fights. And they're just like, it's just a really fun scrap between two very young fighters. Obviously, you got Michael Chiesa and Anthony Pettis, two established veterans. Michael Chiesa won the Ultimate Fighter 15, some of the best jujitsu in the division, Anthony Pettis obviously former champion. Uh, Ally Quinta is uh, the curtain jerker of the main card. He's one of the most outspoken fighters in terms of fighter rights. Uh, he's always demanding like higher salary, like health insurance. Like He's one of those fighters that wants 
the UFC to treat the fighters better. And he takes long breaks between fights because he believes the fighters are getting an unfair shake. And he only comes back because he just loves competition. And Paul Felder, the guy who's fighting, is arguably one of the most exciting strikers in the UFC, not just the lightweight division. And he's riding the longest swing streak of his UFC career. So this is a, a stepping stone. Like, who's going to crack the top? Who's going to crack top seven? Who's going to crack top eight? So pretty much one through five on the main card, I am so excited for. Uh, one of the best main cards ever. And then basically pick any fight on the, on the prelims, and it's a barn burner. But if I'm going to say a fight that no one's really paying attention in terms of casuals, the very first fight of the entire card, the prelim on UFC, that Zabit Magomed Shirapov versus Kyle Bochniak is going to be awesome. Zabit right. is basically what so what Habib is to wrestling, Zabit is to striking. He's just this insane Dagestani who's just like throwing spinning back wheel kicks, like tornado roundhouse kicks. He's unbelievable. And Zabit could very well be the next big thing at featherweight. So pay attention to that name because in two years we could see him fighting for the title. I believe he's undefeated, and if he if he has lost, it's once and it's very early in his career. But he's basically like knockout, submission, submission. Like I believe he every single fight he's had in the UFC, he's got a performance in the night bonus. So pay attention to the beat Magomed Shirapov because he's one of the next big things. Oh, well, I will. And uh, for pronunciation's sake, I hope he's not too good. But <laughs> and Kyle Bochniak, another Boston guy. Like this is just one of those classic like established okay. veteran. Like I don't want to call him a a gatekeeper, but he's still young. I, he's probably like two and two, three and two in the UFC. So he's he know there's no octagon jitters with him. And this is a beat's first real test. So striker versus a grinder. I am very excited for that, and it boggles my mind that they put him as the curtain jerker of the entire event because he deserves a higher spot. Okay. No, I'm excited, and I think anytime you have the, the free fights beforehand that can drive up the interest level too, it should make for a good overall card, but it's going to be a, uh, a fun sight to see. Jose Young's Money Mitch Effect. Lastly, before I let you go, big wrestling weekend. We talked two things basically, combat sports and professional wrestling. WrestleMania 34 is this weekend. And honestly speaking, Jose, this is, I have this question every year. Should I invest? Should I get the card? Should I watch the pay-per-view? And top to bottom, my answer is no. But at the top, it's the match I've wanted to see all year with AJ Styles and Shinsuke Nakamura. So the answer is probably going to be yes, just because of one match. I mean, this card, I've, I've heard both. Like a lot of people are not excited because what I do tend to agree with is there's not a lot of build in these storylines. No. It feels like there's a lot of matches that are just hobbled together like in the last month, and there's not this long build. Like Remember when Edge matched up with The Undertaker in the main event? Like oh, That was yeah. like a nine-month storyline. So even, even Shawn Michaels' Undertaker, too. Like Just think of the Shawn yeah. Michaels' retirement match where that whole, you know, since the two turn of the new year was can i get him to fight me and and all the plot twists there i agree with you and even the even the this is all I'll say it, even the performers that i really like like the return of daniel bryan which i'm excited for seth rollins and 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 whatnot i just don't like the matches that they're in they feel very tv like to me and this should be wrestlemania there should be better storylines the uh, the super bowl of uh, wwe wrestling and i'm just not intrigued by the storylines and the actual matches themselves the problem with the with the WWE now, and you can tell by this card, 
is they they're too there's too much talent. And I know that's a weird thing, but like when you had the Attitude Era and the Ruthless Aggression Era and all these, it was very top heavy. So you could get you could fit all of your stars in a bunch of one on one matches, and then you could throw that crazy ladder match in there with all like the the, the workhorses like the Shell and Benjamins and the Matt Hardys yeah. and the CM Punks. Now you have arguably like 15 guys who can main event WrestleMania, so it's hard to fit them all on a, on one card. And like come January, I was really like, how like if I'm building a WrestleMania card, how am I going to fit all? How am I going to fit Bobby Roode on it? How am I going to fit Rusev on here? How am I going to fit Cesaro and Sheamus on here? Like we're running out of matches. So in terms of fitting everyone in a match that has semi intrigue, I think they did a good job. I mean, Randy Orton, Rude, Ginger, and Rusev is just like a really high quality U.S. title match because the U.S. title is rarely defended at WrestleMania. So if they're going to defend it, it's going to be epic. So for that reason, I like it. I like the three-way for the Intercontinental just because Finn Balor deserves to get his WrestleMania match at his entrance. Seth Rollins has been a workhorse. Miz is arguably the best heel in the entire business. Uh, I do get, like, Daniel Bryan coming back is probably the biggest story of the last five years. But he hasn't wrestled, what, in, like, two, three years yeah, since he retired? Three. It's been three since he Exactly. I don't know. And then, he what, he got cleared less than a month ago. So I, mm. it doesn't surprise me they put him in a tag match because he might, maybe he's out of shape, maybe he's rusty. Like, Shane can take all the crazy bumps and Daniel can do all the offense. So they kind of want Shane to be, like, like the... Uh, the crash test dummy and Daniel Bryan will like <laughs> yeah. save him. And you need that, that t- and you need and that TV match. You need that hype match with Ronda Rousey and and, and I get it. You know exactly. the Rousey so, like it exactly. happens every year. Um, I'm interested to see who Braun Strowman's partner is. Uh, I don't know. I mean, I keep hearing it could be Rey Mysterio. I keep hearing uh, it could be maybe Neville comes back. Like I truly do not know. I can't think of many. Uh, if Shane, I hear Shane might be hurt. Like might be too hurt or I think he has like diverticulitis, which is what Brock Lesnar had, yeah. which is what cost him his first UFC title run. <clears throat> if Shane can't go and Daniel Bryan needs an opponent, I keep hearing Kane because they used to be a tag right. team, a very popular tag team. So if Kane goes with Daniel, then he can't go with Braun. I have no idea who Braun Strowman's going to go with. So it's all, it's all fascinating stuff. It is. And, and you mentioned how deep the roster is. I don't think that's evident anywhere else like it is in the women's division. We have two women's title matches on WrestleMania. That's insane. Not even two women's title matches, two single matches. I mean, yeah. last year they had the fatal four-way and the five-way. And then the year before that, they had the triple threat. Like, they have two one-on-one matches. And then they have their first battle royale, which is awesome. I mean... And then we haven't even talked about the flyaway match, which should be, in my opinion, outside of AJ and Shinsuke, Alexander and Mustafa Ali should be the best match in terms of actual like high-quality wrestling. So yeah. this is a very... It feels thrown together, but then when you look at it on paper, you're like, wow, that's going to be awesome. That's going to be awesome. That's going to be awesome. <laughs> Just in terms of... like, okay. In terms of in-ring work, I think all of these matches are awesome. The problem is nothing... I have not emotionally connected to anything outside of Shinsuke and AJ Styles. I know as a New Japan guy, it's kind of tough to feel that emotional (laughs) connect here. Um, And you mentioned Miz being a great heel. I get it. He is. It would just be cooler to me if 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 the theme's going to be workhorses. Rollins versus Balor would be amazing on this stage, but I get it. And I would say, I mean, I like Alexa Bliss as a heel. She might be the best heel in the company, to be perfectly honest. She's just perfected that role of being that hated uh, that hated girl like everybody went to high school with. So 
Um, that's another one there. Answer me this, though. Will Shinsuke and AJ go on last? Uh, no, it should be Brock and Roman. <laughs> I, I know, think Brock's I know. Contract I was hoping for up. something good, but... I get it. It's it, just it, man. I, it should be an event, but there. If, if if I believe the last time SmackDown headlined WrestleMania was that Edge Undertaker match. Wow, is that right? If I'm not if I'm not mistaken, no kidding. I believe so. I think I think everything after that has been a Raw storyline. Yeah, Cena's been on Raw, so <laughs> and Reigns. I mean, Roman exactly. Reigns has made Roman, event like, the last four WrestleManias now, right? Yeah, like Roman, uh, Brock Lesnar, Cena, like all these, and even Shawn Michaels. Triple H, Randy Orton, they've all been on Raw when they've main evented. And I believe Edge Undertaker was the last one. And then before that, it could have been that Lesnar Kurt Angle at WrestleMania 19. Like SmackDown always gets the better storyline slash better wrestling. But then Raw always gets the edge just because it's Raw. But AJ and Shinsuke is vastly, like by far, the best match the WWE can put on. So I'm really glad they pulled the trigger, especially because, like, I know, like, AJ did wrestle Chris Jericho, but he lost, and then he got stuck against Shane last year. Like this, I believe, makes up for both of those. If you would have told me you have to wait two years, but you're still getting Shinsuke and AJ yeah. WrestleMania, like I would, I would, I'd be about it. And Shinsuke has only been up on the main roster for a year now. I think he debuted the the SmackDown after uh, WrestleMania last year. Quickly with this match, though, Jose, do you think? I guess two questions. Do you think this match will be as good or better than their match in New Japan? And are we just going to see wrestling, or will there be shenanigans? That's what I'm really hoping. Uh, I don't. I mean, it's going to be hard to surpass their New Japan one uh, because they were younger, the different styles, like AJ. Like, you don't have to wrestle as much in Japan. You don't have to travel as much. So you get longer time to put these matches together you can do more. There's different ways of selling. You don't have to worry about weird camera angles and all this stuff. So in terms of an actual wrestling match, I believe that New Japan should be better. Plus, AJ, AJ was a villain when they wrestled in New Japan. He was hated by the Japanese crowd, and he played that up very well. When He was, he was the leader of the Bullet Club when they, when they wrestled at Wrestle Kingdom. So in terms of wrestling, I believe New Japan should be better. In terms of entertainment, I expect this one to be better just because it, as much as I love New Japan, it's hard to argue that WWE doesn't put on a more entertaining and appealing product just in terms of aesthetics. So I think they'll just be different. But it's yeah, I, we, we haven't really seen Shinsuke be Shinsuke in the WWE, so I'm hoping he finally gets to pull it off this time. I hope so too. Um, but the, the other question, or one of the other questions is with that other title match, does Lesnar re-sign? Jose and is this the end game for Roman Reigns because they've been trying to really make him the face of the company and give him his crowning moment for years is this ultimately the WWE's end game with that I don't I think this is what they had been building up to ever since um ever since Brock Lesnar beat the Undertaker snap the Undertaker streak yeah. they've been building this up to get Roman over I don't think it'll happen like I think at this point it's too late he's damaged goods I don't hate Roman at all. I'm not one of those Roman haters. I think he's a great worker, great locker room leader, blah, blah, blah. I just, I, the only thing I don't like is how much they force him down our throats. I don't think this is what gets him over because Brock is a, a hated villain. Is, you know what I'm saying? Like right. People don't hate Brock. Like they don't want to be told what to there. do. That's what it comes exactly. down to. It's, exactly. Like If he was main eventing against like an actual like despised heel, maybe. 
Brock Lesnar's not the guy. They just want to make Roman look strong at this point. Beating Brock, like, because if you've know, if you've noticed, no one has kicked out of the F5 all year. At like since since Goldberg, pretty much, no one has kicked out of the F5. All like since last WrestleMania, Brock Brock Lesnar F5 is a hundred percent finishing. Not even Braun Strowman has kicked out. Mm. Not even Roman. Like so, there you know for a fact. Roman Reigns is going to kick out of the F5 at WrestleMania. I'll bet my house on it. <laughs> and then they'll be like, oh, bro, Roman's the first one to kick out of the F5. And then he wins. Yeah. Like, that's what they're going to do. It, the writing is on the wall. It is just not a new feud. Like, we've seen, like, he was in Fatal 4-Ways with him. He fought him a couple years ago. I, I see what you're saying. It, it, it is like a damaged good buildup. But, hey, I mean, that's the guy they want to ride. We just hope we get a good match out of it. And I, I think he will resign. I think Brock's going to come back. I think, yeah, I mean... I don't know. I know he keeps teasing the UFC, but he's done that before solely to get more he's money. He's a shrewd businessman. I mean, he is he is not this country boy when it comes to the business meetings. He is a shrewd no, businessman. He's, he's a smart guy. I mean, he showed up at UFC 184 when his contract, like at WrestleMania a few years ago in April, Brock Lesnar showed up at WrestleMania uh, UFC 184 in LA like a month and a half before WrestleMania when his contract was running out, Vince McMahon had a damn near heart attack than when he posed with Dana White cage side yeah. at, at UFC 184, basically gave him a blank check and said, sign whatever you want. So I have a very big feeling that'll happen again, but it maybe Brock feels good. And he wants to fight again. I did, yeah, he, he was, he failed his drug test, but he doesn't seem to care. I think he just wants to fight. So I'm very curious, but I, I, I would expect him to resign because at the end of the day, Brock's a mercenary and money talks. It does. It does. Well, WrestleMania 34 should be fun, as was this conversation, Jose Young's. Uh, before I let you go, how are we feeling about baseball and your Red Sox this year? I know that's probably your number oh, one man. passion. It's... Oh, man. I, I, the, first, not, the first night was rough. I mean, we were winning, and then like Joe Kelly came and just blew it. <laughs> but since then, nice we've been game. on a roll. Xander's like one of the hottest hitters in baseball. Yeah, Chris Dale nice and David Price are cooking. I mean, John Colston struck out five times yesterday, <laughs> hit a home run today. Like, if this is the case, like, the Red Sox keep winning and stand striking out or hitting home runs, that's fine with me. So if we can keep this up and David Price can finally get uh, a full season under his belt, Pomeran comes back, Purcell looks like his Cy Young self, Kimbrell's the best closer in baseball. He has 26 strikeouts and 10 innings against the, the Rays in the last 10 innings against the Rays. So, like, the Red Sox are cooking. I know they're not going to win every game. I'm, I, I'm just hoping for, I'm hoping to get past the ALTS finally after a few years. Well, I love how I can ask any Red Sox fan at any time in the baseball season some highlights, and they'll mention the Yankees struggling in their top five, which is what you. Just I mean, <laughs> Red Sox winning, Yankees struggling. There's literally no better feeling in the world. At all. <laughs> it, it, I mean, I, I get it from that rivalry standpoint. I was at uh, Indians Angels last night and watched Otani hit his first career home run right in my face. So that, oh, wasn't, bomb. that wasn't good for me, but, hey, he looks like the real deal. And it's just fascinating to see yeah, the guy I do both, hit and pitch. Oh, yeah. I don't know how he's going to do I want, I'm very curious how he does with a whole season under his belt and how he, like, if he does have to go to the NL and have to bat and pitch at the same time. Like it's gonna be weird. Like I'm very fat. I'm very fascinated by his story. I'm, he's on my fantasy team, so I gotta pay attention. Uh, but I don't know if he's gonna be the world breaker he is. But I'm for sure paying attention. And your Indians horrifying me. Like yeah. I think we're, if we get stuck with you in the first in the ALDS again, I think that's like the Indians Red Sox 
could very well be the ALCS, and I don't want to face you guys in the division round again. The Astros are tough. We'll see about the Yankees. The Red Sox look good. I mean, yeah, the Indians thing is just I worry about outfield depth. Um, Tomlin last night, I mean, he got destroyed, but that's the fifth starter maybe. We'll see. He might not even be in the rotation. Losses are going to happen. I'm just excited for this season, and I'm excited to see what all these contenders are going to do in August, or in July, I should say, when they might need a bat or an arm for their bullpen. But, yeah, Otani, just one last note on him. The, The plan, I guess, is not to pitch or not to hit days before or after he starts. So it's going to be a weird dynamic all season, just how they manage. Oh, it's almost that like is managing, weird. It's almost like managing minutes in like basketball or or hockey yeah. time or something. Like what if he's just on? Like what if he's just on fire? Then you have to sit him for basically three days. <laughs> you got, so weird. You got a, a cleanup hitter or a five hitter, you know, pitching. It's uh, it's pretty remarkable. And that's not what the Indians need. They do an everyday outfielder. Well, the, yeah, it's. Uh, We'll see. Anaheim's got a, a tough decision to make there, but Jose Young's best of luck covering this fight. Uh, prepare for the unexpected, I guess, would be my advice for uh, any UFC That's... pay-per-view card with Habib and McGregor maybe there. And uh, thanks again for coming on the show. For sure, man. Anytime. Huge thanks to Jose Young's. Check all of his stuff out at Fansided. Biggest pop of the podcast was the Red Sox. Big surprise there. But we'll see what happens at UFC 223, WrestleMania 34, the start of baseball season, and what boxing does, uh, what happens with Triple G on Cinco de Mayo. But thanks again to Jose Youngs. Now it's time to talk hockey with my buddy Mike Indergaard, lives up in Minnesota. We worked a little bit in the hockey industry back in the day, a little amateur broadcasting there, but we talked Frozen Four. Some big matchups to preview. Who will take the crown in NCAA Men's Division One Hockey? And some NHL thoughts as well. We may even sneak in a little Tiger reference, too, at the end. See how he does at the Masters. But it's Mike Innergaard here now on the Money Mitch Effect. All right, now joining us on the Money Mitch Effect from the great state. Calling all the way in from the great state of Minnesota. Hockey friend of mine, former broadcast buddy, Mike Indergard. Mike, it's Frozen Four time. Thanks for joining the show. Thanks for having me, Mitch. Always a pleasure. Yeah, you know, I I, I looked the, up the numbers beforehand. It's been about a year since we've chatted, and it's usually around this time of year. I, I know that there's a lot of times to get excited about sports, but nothing really gets us going like end of March, early April. Because you got hockey in full force, both at the collegiate and professional level. I, I really stand by the fact that there's nothing like this time of year. Yeah, I would have to agree. You know, in the pro game, you got playoff races coming down, and, and you got, you know, a lot of close teams this year, which makes it exciting. And then the Frozen Four has really evolved over the years to become quite a marquee sporting event for even a casual fan to go see and always brings intense. Uh, good hockey and uh, should be exciting this weekend. Absolutely should, Mike, and I'm glad you mentioned the word evolved in terms of the Frozen Four. First of all, being in Minnesota, it should be a great atmosphere. It always is, but nobody knows hockey like that state. But in terms of the tournament, we're so used to powerhouses dominating the conversation. Mike, this was the first time I can remember, probably ever, that in the 16 teams in the tournament, there was no North Dakota, no Minnesota, no Boston College. It's kind of crazy to think about. Yeah, you know, when when the uh, NCAA tournament field was announced, I actually looked up, tried to look up a stat because I was 
thinking the exact same thing as you. When was the last time, if ever, the NCAA tournament didn't contain Minnesota, North Dakota, or Boston College, and you have to go all the way back to 1973. Wow. It was the last time the NCAA hockey tournament did not contain all three of those, at least one of those three teams. You know, I think it's good in a sense that you're having new teams, Ohio State, not normally here. Uh, and, and I know the other teams have had some success here. Notre Dame's relatively new power. But the tournament field itself had a lot of first-timers, and I think it's good to get those programs in the mix competing. Yeah, I, I 100% agree. You know, Ohio State, for instance, brings a uh, breath of fresh air. You know, a team that, that hasn't been to the Frozen Four since 1998, a team that, that's exciting, that's coming in, having played some really good hockey over the last several weeks. And um, Notre Dame kind of being a new power, winning the Big Ten Hockey Conference this year. And then, I mean, of course, you got mainstays like Michigan and Minnesota Duluth in the tournament. But it should be an exciting tournament with the, with the new kids on the block and the old guard. Certainly should. Um, maybe we'll get into Donnie Wahlberg a little later. But, Mike, let's break down this uh, Frozen Four this field that saw two ones, a two, and a three seed get into the final four here in college, men's division one hockey. The primetime game on Thursday night, by the time this releases, it will be this evening, is going to be Notre Dame and Michigan. Notre Dame, the number one seed out of their region. They won some tight games. It took Michigan Tech overtime to beat them. They beat Providence two to one as well. Mike, this is a team that is going to the back-to-back Frozen Fours. It's the second straight for them. And four Frozen Fours in, uh, really, I think it's their fifth since 2008. So this is a team that's been there before. And maybe not a hotter team throughout the course of the season. Mike, what they did, ripping off 16 straight wins, they've been a buzzsaw for a lot of time this year. And a lot of people's favorite, the smart money, being on Notre Dame to win this one. Yeah, you know, the Golden Domers were playing some really hot hockey there. Like you said, that 16-game win streak going two and a half months without a loss is seriously impressive. They carried the number one ranking for a while. And, you know, they're doing it with depth. And they come to this turn, or they come to this game battle-tested in a, in a vastly improved Big Ten hockey conference. So going into this, I mean, they have to be considered a favorite. Yeah, we should point out three Big Ten teams in this Frozen Four, kind of uh, getting to that uncharted territory, certainly for a conference that hasn't been around as long as the Big Ten. They were 4-3-1 and one to start the season. Then they played Ohio State, swept them, and then never looked back. Um, but, Mike, another thing I wanted to bring up, I mean, we know Jackson's a good coach at Notre Dame. He's been doing his thing for a while. But their last four games, two in the tournament, two in the Big Ten tournament, They've won by one goal. So they're not a team that's just a front runner. They can win those close games, and I think that's going to help too. Yeah, you know, they can play a mix of, a, a different mix of hockey. They can come in and, and run you out of the building, or they can come in and grind and win a close game. And, uh, you know, in a one and done format like this, that makes them especially dangerous. It does. And the team they play, Michigan, is equally dangerous. They're the two seed they've got all those titles, nine total. They haven't won since 98, which oddly enough was the only other time Ohio State got to the Frozen Four. Mike, they get by Northeastern. They get by uh, BU, who did the dirty work in upsetting Cornell. So it was a four-seed BU to get to the Frozen Four. 
But like Michigan, nobody really expected to be here. We talk about all their history and, and all of their pedigree, but Red Berenson retires after 33 years. They have their new coach in there, Pearson. And, Mike, they're the second youngest team in Division One hockey. How did they get here? How did they learn so much on the fly as the season progressed? Well, um, I feel like took a recipe or took a page out of many of uh, the University of North Dakota's team's books uh, in that at the end of the calendar year 2017, they were 7-7-2, seven, seven and two, and on the outside looking in as far as the NCAA tournament goes, they started the second half of the season just on a tear, riding their, their extremely hot top line and um, got some good goaltending and, and worked it into a Frozen Four appearance, which, uh, you know, and they're going to fully embrace their underdog role going into this game uh, and into this Frozen Four, and that makes them especially dangerous as well. I think that's a common theme. All these teams got hot as the season went along. Mike, they've got four losses since January, a part of it. And uh, really adapting to you know the new situation without Red Barons in there. Uh, you mentioned that top line. They're pretty much their only senior lines, from my recollection, the, uh, the run DMC line, as they're called. So it's an interesting mix of veteran presence at the top and just youth that has adapted. We're used to these Michigan teams that just have a lot of high-flying big names. It's quite. This isn't quite that, but they're still equally good in their own way. Yeah, absolutely. You know that top line, like you're saying, is is two thirds of them are seniors. Dexter Danks and Tony Calderon are the seniors, and then they have a junior on that line, Cooper Marodi. But they're also uh, riding some good young players, in particular the high end players on defense, Joe. Piccioni and Quinn Hughes, who is expected to be, you know, a top five NHL draft pick uh, in this upcoming draft, have helped them, especially in the second half, first onto the scene here. Yeah, it's going to be exciting to see them match up against Notre Dame, a team they know very well uh, in the Frozen Four. Still chatting with Mike Indergaard on the Money Mitch Effect, talking about the Frozen Four 2018 men's hockey tournament. Games are Thursday and then the championship game Saturday night in Minnesota. The other game to talk about, the earlier game, Ohio State and Minnesota Duluth. Let's start with Duluth because, Mike, the Bulldogs, the 2011 national champs, their only title in program history, were another team that wasn't really expected to be here. They were a three seed in the tournament. They beat Minnesota State in overtime. They knock out Air Force to get to the Frozen Four. And talk about a team that really had to find a new identity. They lost seven seniors and three basically underclassmen that contributed a lot last year. But, Mike, this is a team that is a scoring-by-committee team. They've got a great goaltender, and I will be the first to say it. We kind of look into college hockey, and we think what we might know, but this is a team that wasn't on anybody's radar, expert or not, going into this season. No, and, and, you know, they were expected to have a down year, like you were saying. They lost an awful lot of talent last year, but, we, you know, what Minnesota Duluth had going for them was they've got, they've got a great coach, uh, and Scott Sandlin, and they have been recruiting unbelievably over the last several years. So even though they lost all that talent, uh, they weren't necessarily rebuilding. They were probably more like reloading. Yeah, they started the season 3-7, and seven, and we talk about how exclusive this tournament is. Even with the expansion in recent years, only 16 teams get in, so it is very tough to overcome a bad start like that. The coach has been great, Mike, but... 
we got to talk about Hunter Shepard because what he's done in net has been nothing short of remarkable. Eight shutouts and NCHC and program record. How has he been so locked in in net? I mean, he's playing tough teams. You know more than anyone that he's not getting a powder puff schedule. No, and I think uh, he's using that to his advantage. Um, there are no easy games in the conference he belongs in, in the NCHC, and uh, you know I think he's just using the experience he's gained from early games uh, to sharpen his focus and treat each game as if it were a playoff game because towards the end of the season, you know, a loss in NCAC play dropped you down in the pairwise enough where it could, it could leave you out of the tournament. And I think that he just uh, used that experience against top talent to sharpen his focus and become an outstanding netminder for the Bulldogs. It's been a great year for him and his team. They they really do embrace the scoring by committee role. They will face in the Frozen Four the Ohio State University, a team that got the number one seed. They won a close one, um, relatively close one over Princeton, four to two in that one, and then they just stopped a Denver team, a Denver Pioneers team with a lot of talent on a very impressive win, maybe the most impressive win so far in the tournament. But Mike, I look at this team, not a whole lot of big names mostly grit instead of finesse and flash. So I'll ask you this question. Is it safe to say that they've kind of been in Notre Dame's shadow this year, this Notre Dame team that's been as good as any in the country in the same conference? Ohio State's kind of maybe flown under the radar a bit? I absolutely think they've flown under the radar, but they're a good, solid team. They're very deep. They're getting great play out of all four of their lines, all their defensemen. And, you know, they, they have a coaching staff that that – is really uh, has really led them well. Uh, their head coach actually used to coach at Minnesota Duluth, so he's he's brought uh, you know a perspective from a tough conference to, to a team, and and they really have flown under the radar. But they've been a nice, pleasant surprise, and they've just kind of been steady going as the season has come along, and it's come together for them now in making a Frozen Four appearance. Yeah, and one of the major things to build off that mic has been how great they are in specialty teams, number two uh, total special teams in the country, and the best penalty kill. Granted, this was a team last year that was 57th out of 60. So they've turned that around. And, and we talk about the importance of specialty teams. Mike, it's very impressive to go from terrible to great in one year. And you got to credit the coaching staff for getting his players to buy in. Yeah, and, and that turnaround is extremely impressive and that and a turnaround like that I, I feel like it kind of is has a twofold aspect to it in that you have coaching that you know changes up the way the players think but then you have players that are buying into what the coaches are saying and the two of those together have have created uh, truly a remarkable turnaround as far as penalty kill go and you know, in a in games like this, where like I said earlier, it's one and done. You know, if you if you're able to kill off penalties, I mean, that's going to take you a long way, and could potentially bring you a championship. Yeah, absolutely. There, Ohio State has not even did not even win a tournament game since 1998. They're only year winning tournament games until this season, so it's a banner year for them. All right, Mike, time to make our predictions. How do you see this shaking out, starting with the Thursday games, and then ultimately? Who's holding the title at the end of it? Well, uh, I feel like the early game between 
uh, Ohio State and Minnesota Duluth is going to be a very close game. Uh, I think this is going to come down to truly a bounce of the puck. It's going to come down to who can make a mistake first. Is it going to be Ohio State's top-notch penalty kill, or is it going to be Hunter Shepard letting one slip by? I think it's going to be the closest game in the Frozen Four, but I think uh, I have to give this one Ohio State either a a 3-2 or a 2-1 game. I agree with that. I just think the way Ohio State plays, they don't really have a lot of defensive breakdowns. I think they're going to be smart enough to realize they can't dig a hole against this team with that goalie. So I'm with you on Ohio State. I was looking at that other game, going back and forth on it. As much as that dream scenario would be, that Michigan-Ohio State final, Notre Dame's just too good to me. To, i got to go with my head on this one. I think Notre Dame's going to beat Michigan again. I I agree with you there too, Mitch. You know, I think Notre Dame, just top to bottom, is is that much better than Michigan is. Michigan's a good young team. It's going to have a bright future ahead of it, but uh, I agree. I think Notre Dame's going to take this one and end up playing Ohio State for a championship. Then who do you got in that final, that one-versus-one-seed final, Buckeyes fighting Irish? Well, it'll be uh, certainly be a good game as both teams will be trying uh, to win their first ever national title, make it exciting, be back and forth. And I hate to do this to you, Mitch, but I'm going to have to go with Notre Dame taking okay. this year. Yeah, no, I uh, I'm going to pick Ohio State just for the very reason of uh, when will I get this chance again? Uh, that is a <laughs> smart bet, and they should be the betting favorites in this tournament. I think Ohio State has outperformed all expectations this year, and in one game, you never know. Uh, if this was a series, I'd absolutely be in agreement with you, but it's one game, and I think the Buckeyes have a chance. And I'm just ready for an exciting Frozen Four. Should be great, uh, and uh, yeah, should have uh, a great atmosphere as well. Mike, before I let you go, I do have to get your quick thoughts on the pro game, uh, the NHL season. Kind of what exactly what I wanted to know is what stood out to you because I was having this conversation the other day. I can't remember a season where so many spots and so much seeding is still up for grabs this late. I'm just fascinated with some of these division and wild card races. You know, this has truly been one of the more exciting playoff races that I can honestly remember. You know, you got in the Western Conference, you got three teams in, in uh uh, Anaheim, Colorado, and St. Louis that have been exchanging wild card spots now for about what seems like half the season, but uh, realistically it's been an on-fire battle now for at least a month, and it's it's made for some exciting hockey, some fast-paced hockey, and um, what also has been exciting for me, uh, at least, is the looking in the Eastern Conference, the Atlantic Division, the Atlantic Division with Boston, Tampa Bay, and Toronto being the top three teams out of there is absolutely stacked and should make a good run. Any three of those, any one of those teams could make a good run uh, in the playoffs here. Yeah, you hit the nail on the head there. Uh, you have the wild card battles in both conferences. With the with the West, you have the Ducks and and Kings fighting for one Pacific spot, and then one of them dropping down. Whoever doesn't get it, fighting for the wild card. Um, that Atlantic division with Boston's resurgence has just been incredible. They caught Tampa Bay. That's going to go down to the wire there to see who gets the top division spot. Even in the Metropolitan with the Capitals winning another division, the Blue Jackets storming live, the Devils and Flyers, obviously the Penguins being a part of it. 
it's just been been a great season that Central is what I look at because I think the two best teams in hockey this year, Mike, have been Nashville and the Winnipeg Jets. Yes, Winnipeg has a chance to win the Stanley Cup, and we know how crazy it gets up there, so I can only imagine what that atmosphere would be like. Oh, you're absolutely right, Mitch. And, and you know, I, I was actually thinking about that the other day. Winnipeg probably presents the best chance for a Canadian team to win the Stanley Cup since Vancouver in that unforgettable 2011 series against Boston. But, you know, they the thing about Winnipeg is they can score. You know, they have, they've got that Finnish sniper, uh, Line A, who's just been unbelievable oh. this year. Not to mention, he probably had the stringiest beard I've ever seen. Yeah, we'll, um, we'll work on that. <laughs> and and honestly, I I wouldn't be shocked to see Winnipeg come out of the West, represent the West in the Stanley Cup. They've just been that good, and their their whole team from top to bottom can score, and should be very exciting hockey. Yeah, they're big. That's the other thing. They got a lot of size, but they're going to have to get by Nashville in that second round. So that's going to be uh, a sight to see, assuming it does happen, which I know it's safe to say we can't assume. The last thing I wanted to ask you, maybe the hardest question, maybe the hardest year to ask this question, but who's the MVP? You know, I there was so many good players. I have to go with Taylor Hall. Mm. Uh, of the New Jersey Devils. He just, without him, that team is not a playoff team. And not only has he carried that team literally on his back to the playoffs, I mean, he's one of the top scorers in the league. He's riding a nine-game point streak. He had a four-point game last night. I mean, he's just been playing unbelievable world-class hockey, and I would have to vote uh, Taylor Hall as the MVP this year. There's a lot of great candidates, and I think the fact that no one's really running away with it, we do have to understand what we think the what the criteria should be. Because Connor McDavid's going to win the scoring title again, but their team's been terrible. So I get it. You know, he might have been the most talented player this year, but you have to make an impact to really win this award and help your team make the playoffs. I think Taylor Hall gets it as well because Mike, they have nobody else scoring points. He's got a 42-point lead on his own team. Like, nobody else has higher than 51. And that, that's just an absolutely shocking number uh, when you say that out loud, that the next closest scorer on his team is 42 points behind him. I mean, he is, he is literally carrying that team on his back. I will say that you, you do get penalized if you have a good team around you, like Nikita Kucherov and Evgeny Malkin, who have had great years. Uh, two players that I also don't think have gotten enough credit. Uh, Anze Kopitar every year does this for the Kings where we just don't talk about how good he is. Blake Wheeler's having his career year for Winnipeg. The And Claude Giroux, I should say, for Philly as well. The other, the only other guy that I would vote for, the guy that would finish second on my ballot, Mike, Nathan McKinnon. They probably have to get in for him to get it, but what he's done in Colorado, another guy in that young generation that really wasn't talked about, I think his year's been remarkable and he's been disgusting down the stretch. Absolutely disgusting down the stretch. It seems like now that I live in Minnesota, um, anytime I watch the NHL on TV, I'm usually watching a Minnesota Wild game. And uh, whenever they're playing Colorado, I swear he is just—he's a one-man show on the ice when he's out there. He people are chasing him around. He's always got the puck on his stick, and he has been unbelievable this year. Not only 
is the the playoff race been awesome to to follow and watch, but the you know the players themselves have just been really putting on a show this year, and you just you gotta applaud them for it. You do. It's been exciting. Colorado and St. Louis probably going to battle for that last spot. A lot of implications there. A big turnaround for the Avalanche, who remember trade away Duchesne and then suddenly have their uh, have their great year. But it's been a great season, both in hockey and college, uh, both in pro hockey and college hockey. Mike Indergard, thanks for coming on today's show. Uh, yeah, one last thing. Are we riding with uh, one last thing? Are we riding with Tiger this week in the Masters? <laughs> you know, boy, I. That's tough. He has been, it seems like he's back, which is great for golf, and I absolutely love it. But uh, how that Masters field is so deep, I don't know. It's tough to say. Uh, if I think if Tiger can get, can get his putting figured out, I think uh, he'll be, I think we'll be, we might be seeing uh, that, red, that red polo on Sunday and then another green jacket for him. Yeah, I uh, man, I want I want that so bad. At least him being contention, I'm just not sure he's there yet. He might be getting there, but the putting issues, not being able to hit his driver, we're just glad to see Tiger back. And I want, I think what I really want is on Sunday the final two pairings to be Tiger, DJ, Dustin Johnson, uh, Spieth, and probably Rory, so I have somebody to root against. <laughs> <laughs> and don't forget Lefty. Lefty would be kind of cool to see in that mix too. Yeah, Lefty has got to get some better gear. He was looking a little, uh, <laughs> a little uh, unsolid there on the uh, on the yeah, uh, tee with his I, business I saw suit. The, the business attire he wore on the course on the practice round the other day, and uh, he better have been paid well for that because. <laughs> it's like, come on, Phil, you're a legend. You can't be wearing that. You got a reputation <laughs> to hold. Uh, all right, Mike Indergard, this was fun. Best luck with everything, and uh, we'll be doing this again uh, soon. But thanks for coming on the Money Mitch Effect. Thanks, as always, for having me, Mitch, and uh, we'll talk to you soon. That's it for today's episode of The Money Mitch Effect. Big thanks to both guests, Jose Youngs and Mike Indergard. Appreciate everybody out there for listening. You can find every episode of The Money Mitch Effect, the entire catalog on SoundCloud, iTunes, or Google Play by just searching Money Mitch Effect. And you can like us and follow us at the Money Mitch Effect Facebook page, just as it's spelled. And uh, yeah, just enjoy every episode. We're going to try to continue to grow the brand and grow this podcast with some special guests in the springtime months. Enjoy the Frozen Four, UFC 223, and the Masters starting today. We'll see what that drama tournament, that big drama show, as Triple G says. Got to reference him again. Uh, We'll see what that looks like in that sport. NHL winding down. NBA winding down to Kyrie Irving now out for the season. So a, a, a really wacky end to the basketball season is probably coming as well. But it's a fun time of year with baseball gearing up as well. This was the Money Mitch Effect. I am Mitch Michaels. Thanks again for listening. Hope you all enjoy sports and have a wonderful weekend.